Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Tuesday morning, September the 21st, 2021. It is 702 on your Tucson Tuesday, and you're listening on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. This is Tucson's only local morning talk show, sports talk show. Be specific there. There may be other talk shows, but this is the only one that's talking sports. And we do so every single day. And right here on the Jeff Dean Show, I've made you a promise that we're going to be talking NFL every single day. And today is no different. We're going to be talking some NFL because there are some reactions from week one that need to occur. Of course, we will talk about some of the things that uh, that happened not only in, in last night's game. You know, Aaron Rodgers gets back on the field. They bounce back. Aaron Rodgers, you know, they get the win. And then he goes to the podium, goes to social media, and basically says, uh, thumbs his nose at the haters. This after beating the Detroit Lions at home in a rainstorm. Congratulations, Aaron. So we'll talk about some NFL coming up uh, later in the show, as we always do every every day here on the Jeff Dean Show. We're always talking NFL five days a week. And uh, as, you know, if we're on the air, we're talking NFL. So that's going to happen, and that's a promise I've made to you, and that's a promise I intend on to keep, uh, intend to keep to you guys. We'll also talk plenty of college football. I have a lot of college football to discuss today, specifically with Arizona, as Jed Fish had his press conference yesterday, had some interesting things to say. In my opinion, I thought was um, was good at the press conference. They. Uh, it's one of those press conferences, like, I wish I was there kind of thing, because there were questions that needed to be asked that didn't get asked, I felt, uh, or at least questions that I wanted to know the answers to. And um, so, you know, but because I can't be there, unfortunately, uh, they didn't get asked. And I'm not you know, blaming the other media guys. They asked what they wanted to ask, and you only get a few questions uh, before they cut you off and send Coach Fish on his way. So uh, we'll talk about the questions that were asked and the answers that were given by Coach Fish in his opening statement, uh, also in that press conference as well. As I, I thought there there were some interesting things that he said, um, specifically about the game plan. There were you know answers to some of the blocking schemes, and they were, as I had feared yesterday, uh, what the problems were. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that coming up uh, here in in you know probably the first segment or so. I also have some bold statements and predictions to make in you know, college football after what we've seen in the first three weeks. And I think you'll be interested to hear some of these predictions slash bold statements that I'm going to be making uh, because they do have ramifications for the postseason, the college football playoff, and specifically what's going on with the Pac-12. I also want to try to squeeze in some MLB here because, you know, they're, obviously the, the, you know, the pennant race is, is, uh, is coming down to the wire here. And there are a lot of wild – card teams jostling for position but the notion that major league baseball wants to expand the playoffs um you know their original the original plan for expanding the playoffs from 10 to 14 teams um talk about just what a horrible idea that is we'll talk about that coming up uh, probably in hour number two as we talk a little baseball and you know there's plenty of other things going on in the news as well as um in the nba jj reddick has just announced his retirement 
Um, I, you know, I'm not a big J.J. Reddick fan, but he will always be remembered for the time that he dressed up as the special from uh, from the Lego movie as he was entering the uh, the arena for the uh, uh, for the game on TNT that that night. Uh, that was always one of my favorite things. You know, I was like watching you when they had the players walking in, like what kind of fit they're wearing, what their gear is, and this dude dressed up like the special <laughs> from from the Lego movie. I think it was a Halloween game, uh, so that was appropriate. So, but that was always funny. But not a huge JJ Reddick fan, uh, obviously, is where he went to school and all that kind of stuff, and the type of player that he was. But nonetheless, uh, a, a good NBA career, and uh, he's hanging up the sneakers today and announcing that he's going to be retiring. But we begin with the press conference yesterday from Jed Fish. He met with the media for about 15, uh, 15, 20 minutes or so, and he discussed a lot of the things from Saturday night. He mentioned that, you know, the team, you know, the team is in a good place when he, you know, when he talked to them on, on Sunday after film study and stuff. You know, he said that they're disappointed, yes, devastated, no. Um, and even if they were, I don't think you'd, I don't think you'd want to uh, to admit that uh, that they that they were devastated, um, you know, because that just that just breeds a bad light. And you know, we talked about it yesterday. Things were going well. They 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 had they had five series in the game. They had scored. They were up thirteen nothing. The defense was playing lights out. You know, and Jed Fish had even talked about that in his press conference yesterday. And, and when he was asked about why he punted on fourth and two at midfield when he's been willing to go for it uh, from his own 26-yard line in a game against BYU, you know, in a, in a neutral site, in a, you know, what essentially was a hostile territory. It was two-thirds of the crowd was wearing blue and white for BYU that night. Uh, and and he, he said, look, you know, we, we, we had pitched a shutout up until that point. It was the defense was had, had given up four three-and-outs in that, you know, in the game leading up until there. Five three-and-outs, one of the – I can't remember which one it was, four or five three-and-outs, regardless – NAU did not have a first down at that point in time. And he felt really good about pinning the team deep, trying to use his defense to spur his offense to a short field. You know, unfortunately, and that was one of the things I didn't cover yesterday, and, you know, Kyle Ostendorp has been really, really good at, uh, at punting the ball, and he's been uh, able to aim the ball, uh, you know, inside the 10 and pin teams inside the 10. You know, Saturday night was one of those nights where everything he kicked was going into the end zone, whether it was a – 40-yard punt or a 65-yard punt. Everything went into the end zone for a touchback, and it was just like, my God, they can't quite – I mean, they're flipping the field a little bit, but, you know, a lot of these nets, when you when you, you factor in the 20-yard the uh, touchback, you know, some of the nets were like, you know, 25 yards, 31 yards. Like, those are not great nets. You want to have nets that are uh, that are high net punting yards that are higher than that. So, you know, that was – that was a disappointment as you know almost it seemed like seemingly every punt that he had and there was a lot of them went into the end zone for a uh, for a touchback i know it wasn't the case but it seemed like a lot of them were and that was you know that was part of the you know part of the issue as well you, you know you want your punter to pin them deep uh cause a a a, uh, a fair catch somewhere around the 10 or you know 9 8 yard line something like that none of that happened um and again it was just one of those situations where things just enough things went wrong for arizona the people were feeling the frustrations, and then bang, the pick six happens, and you could just – the entire mood of the team swung. Um, he didn't – nobody asked him about that. That was one of the questions that I would have been the first question I asked. You know, what, what was the feeling on the sideline after 
the pick six? Did you feel that you were losing your team at that point? Because essentially that's what happened. You know, Arizona went on to score one more time in that game following that pick six, but it was on the last, you know, the second to last drive of the game, essentially, with uh, with Jordan McLeod in the uh, in the lineup now. So that's, that's one of the questions I definitely would have asked Coach Jed Fish because a lot of people want to get the feel for what kind of a coach he is, right? I mean, that's we need to know. We know that they're doing a great job. They're doing a bang-up job recruiting. They're number, I believe, the recent rankings uh, for 247, they're number 29 in the country in the 2022 class. They're number four in the Pac-12 in the 2022 class, and they're still adding guys. There's there's plenty more to come, and like I said before, the TMAC uh, recruitment is not over. Jet Fish is not going to drop that rope and walk away. So, that, you know, that's not over. He's still in a, in a, in a dogfight with Oregon for T. Tyroa McMillan to join his other two teammates from uh, Anaheim Servite that are coming here next season. So you know, we know they're doing a bang-up job in recruiting. We know that he's a great community guy, that he's done some amazing things in the community already in just his short time here, reaching out to not only the alumni and the letter winners that are in the community and outside the community, but also people that are in the community, boosters, fans, families, things like that, and also students, students on campus. He's really reached out to them. I thought, listen, <laughs> going into Saturday's game, I'm like, there's going to be 1,200 kids in the Zona Zoo tonight. I, like, that was my prediction. Like, now about 1,200. That, it's going to look completely empty. And 5,000 Zona Zoo students showed up for that game and stayed through a, almost all the way to the midway through the fourth quarter. So I thought the Zona Zoo showed up, and I thought they, play, they, they, did, they did their part. Obviously, we'd like to see more, but it was a lot more than I expected. So that was a, uh, that was a nice surprise to see from the Zona Zoo. Props to them. Um, so we know that you know, he's, he's, a, you know, he's a great community outreach guy. We know that he's, they're doing a bang-up job in recruiting. We want to know what kind of a coach he is. I think we can all agree that the coaching decisions that were made in the BYU game, I think most people were in favor of the coaching decisions. I talked about it the week after that game, just discussing kind of what I saw from his first performance as a head coach. I thought he managed the clock perfectly. He had set Arizona up for the final possession of each half, which is what you could, you know, that's all you can ask of a head coach is to manage the clock well enough to give your team the last at bat. You know, because obviously in, in timed sports, uh, you can't promise yourself the last possession. So the way you do that is by negotiating the clock, and you try to figure out how to work that clock in your favor. And Jed Fish, I thought, did a phenomenal job in that BYU game of managing the clock, managing the game, understanding uh, the time and the presence of everything. Yeah, the play calling was a little bit off, I think, to begin the game. We talked about that. He admitted it. He admitted that his early early game play calling in the BYU game wasn't up to par, wasn't up to snuff. It wasn't up to his standards. He fixed that. I thought the play calling was better in that game. San Diego State game got sideways, got completely sideways. It was 21 nothing. Uh, there's not much you can do at that point. you got to throw the game plan out. <laughs> okay, you got to adjust on the fly. And that was a good learning experience for Jed Fish. You throw that out, you don't. You don't the only thing you can you can really kind of look at as far as okay, where do you where do you where, you know where do you rank the coaching or where do you uh, grade the coaching in the San Diego State game? The only way you can grade it is on preparation. Okay, I don't think the preparation was all that bad. I thought execution was really poor. Player execution in that game was awful. They weren't tackling. They weren't blocking. And we got the 38-14 outcome that we saw. 
Now, Saturday night's game, you can look at a lot of things. There's a lot of reasons and a lot of factors why you lose to an FCS school and why that FCS school is celebrating their first ever win over an FBS program, ever. Uh, There's coaching preparation. There's coaching game plan. There's uh, coaching as far as play calling goes. There's coaching as far as recognition and scheme, uh, adjustments throughout the game. Remember, Arizona got beat in the second half of that game on the scoreboard. So there's a lot of factors in there into coaching. The fact of the matter is, none of it was good. There was, there was very, very few positive things that came out of that game. And when I say very few, I mean like literally like maybe two things that were even close to being considered a positive in that Saturday game against NAU. The other 97 things that happened in that game were negative. Okay? So we want to get a feel for what kind of a coach Jed Fish is. What kind of feel for the game does he have? I, 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 talked, to some, I talked to some fans on Saturday night after the game, talked to some you know, people on the, on, the way, on, the, on the drive home essentially. Uh, people were texting, calling, whatever. People that are driving back up to Phoenix and know that I'm on the road type of thing. Um, and then talked to people Sunday and talked to people yesterday. And a lot of them are wondering because – for a for a coach that did not play the game of football, uh, certainly at, at at a high level, of course he wasn't you know a collegiate player, or a pro player, or anything like that, and a guy who is in his first ever head coaching position, what kind of an actual feel for the game? What kind of instinctual feel does he have for the game? Obviously, he's been a student of the game for a long, long time, and listen, I'm always. Uh, you're, you're never going to hear me say you got to have a former player as a coach. You got a guy who played the game uh, as a coach. I, I never, I never buy into that kind of stuff because, in my opinion, there are people who can go out there and just because they don't physically have the capability of playing football or they never, uh, they they never got a chance to you know to to play on a team or, or whatever have you. They grew up in, a, in an environment that didn't allow that. Okay. You can still have someone who is a great analyst and a great mind uh, at the game. You don't you don't want someone like that coaching, you know, defensive line or something like that, or offensive line for that matter. Somebody who never essentially played the game, or so at least somebody who didn't grow up around it. Uh, but you, uh, as far as a head coach or an offensive coordinator, absolutely, you can you can absolutely have someone like that. So I, the people are like, oh, I never played football. That's ridiculous. I, okay, you know. I, you know, whatever. I, we, we, there's a lot of things that we do in life that we, you know, weren't professional at or weren't weren't good at before we tried them. I mean, you just, you know, you gotta you gotta study and you gotta do the things that that require, uh, you know, all those types of input to be able to to do your job. I don't I don't discount you know his lack of playing football uh, at all. I think what you need to look at is what kind of a feel for the game that he has, and and that's what I. I if I were at the press conference yesterday, I would have asked, "How did you? What was the feeling on the sideline? Did you, did you sense what a lot of people in the stands were sensing, that you were starting to lose your team after that pick six? You know, what, what was what was the feeling there? Did you did you catch any of that? Were you were you you know kind of busy talking to your backup quarterback, getting him to you know teaching him, you know using that as a teaching moment for your backup quarterback or for your quarterback room or whatever? Um, you know, what was he doing at that time?" You know, because a lot of times the the job of a head coach isn't to teach, it isn't to, you know, call the plays and something like that. A lot of times it's just to motivate and pick up someone or pick up a team 
or you know give them a you know a little shot in the arm or just recognize when there's bleeding going on and you got to go stop the bleeding you got to play mom you got to play you know doctor whatever and you got to go stop the bleeding especially in a game like college football that is a highly highly emotional game you know when you when you look at at why teams won certain games and this is this is not this just this year this is going back 20 25 30 40 years that we've been watching college football that I've been watching college football certainly as passionately as I do every single week every single year you realize just what an emotional game college football is if you can find a reason for a team to have an emotional advantage or disadvantage that will tell you a lot about the outcome of that game and some of the things you can't account for emotional losses within the game whether a player gets injured you know of whether a key player gets carted off the field for a neck injury or something like that okay you know heaven forbid but there are there are emotional swings in games you can't account for and that's where the coaching comes in you have to be able to grab your kids stop the bleeding you know tell them to you know give them a pat on the shoulder and say you know everything's going to be okay we're going to we're going to play our game plan we're going to do our thing you're you know you're you've been playing football your whole life go out there and love the game, whatever, whatever motivating factor you want to do. You have to, you have to know your kids, obviously. And for a college football coach, you have to know 118 of them. There's 118 individuals with different personalities and different quirks and different ways to motivate them on that team. You have to be able to tap into all that. That's what makes coaching. That's what makes great. What makes great coaches great. Or you just, you know, do like what Nick Saban does and just recruit all the same guys that you know that have the same mentality as you do. And just come and you know say if you want to win a championship you got to do things my way or the highway. If you don't like it, get the hell out. And you, you can do things that way too. And that's been obviously very successful for Nick Saban. Um, but it's not everybody's way. And you know certainly uh, not everybody can have that kind of of a luxury to be able to have a coach with that much influence over a team and over wins and losses based on his mentality and the type of players that he's able to recruit because he just gets to pick. He gets the pick of the litter, essentially, every single year. He gets he gets to draft an entire new team. It's like fantasy football for a college coach. Um, so, you know, what kind of a feel for the game does Jet Fish have? I think, honestly, I, I really think right now, I think it's I think the feel of the game is is pretty good. I don't think it's terrible. Um, I don't think it's world beating. I don't think that the Jet Fish is going to go out there and out coach one of these uh, elder Pac-12 coaches. I mean. I don't expect Jed Fish to go out and out coach Kyle Whittingham or even like a Chip Kelly or you know the, the likes of some of the guys that have been in place for quite some time. You know, can he go out and out coach a, you know a Dante Williams? Certainly. Can he go out there and, and out coach a, a Nick Rolovich? I think so. Sure. You know, Jonathan Smith is is a really good coach up at Oregon State. I think you know for a guy that is kind of rebuilding a program and they say, "Oh, he's a really good coach and he's been rebuilding for the last five years." Well, which which is it? Is he rebuilding or is he a really good coach? <laughs> because the results aren't there yet for Oregon State. So the jury's still out on that. I like to believe that Jonathan Smith is a good coach. I kind of feel like, like he is. And he's got things that are going in the right direction. But you try to recruit to Corvallis, Oregon. Not easy. Same as you can say about Tucson. Very difficult place to recruit to. So we'll continue to talk about that after the break because there are some plenty of other things that, that Jetfish talked about in his in his press conference yesterday, one of them confirming something that I said yesterday, and we'll talk about that coming up after the break. Now, the NFL, of course, it's back, and FanDuel Sportsbook wants to get uh, wants you to get the most out of every single play, and that's why they're giving everyone a ten dollar risk free bet 
every single week. And uh, this Thursday night would be a great opportunity for you to flex your muscles and try to bet on an NFL game as the Carolina Panthers and the Houston Texans are going to be squaring off this Thursday. Kind of an interesting matchup. You know, I mean, Tyrod Taylor, now they're saying he's not going to play because of the hamstring. That could change some things. But when you jump in on that, jump in with a, with a same-game parlay. I did some. I did two same-game parlays, two SGPs as we call them. Uh, I did two SGPs over the weekend. I had a blast with them. I won one. I lost the other one. Thank you, Aaron Rodgers. Um, <laughs> for losing me that SGP that I had last night. But I did win one on Sunday, and it was, like, super exciting. Like, when you cash in those parlays, like, because you're watching them, you know, and you got you got three, you got a three-leg parlay on this game, and you watch one tick off. Ding. Second one. Ding. And you're just waiting on that third one. And then somebody catches that touchdown pass, and it's like it's like your fantasy football team just won the, the championship, and you just won a trophy, except you're going to be able to cash that check. And – FanDuel Sportsbook makes it super easy to cash out those winning tickets. They're fast payouts. It's an easy-to-use app, and it's safe and secure. There's plenty of reasons why it's America's number one sportsbook. You can feel uh, that for yourself when you sign up. If you're new to FanDuel Sportsbook, you can claim 30-to-1 odds on either either team to win the Monday night game coming up. So if you want to bet the Monday night game, you're going to get 30-to-1 odds on either team to win. Just use my promo code, DEAN. Sign up with my last name. If your bet loses, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. It's just that simple. Use the promo code DEAN. Find out for yourself just how fun and, and, uh, and, and rewarding FanDuel Sportsbook can be. 21 and over and present in Arizona. Refund is issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund is $10. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Same game parlay available for multiple sports in all states and mobile web. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342. When we come back, Jed Fish's comments about the blocking in the offensive line, and it was something that I feared, but something that can be fixed. That's next on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show. Listen to the press conference yesterday from Jed Fish and there was a question asked specifically about the two-point conversion play because it looked like there was some confusion on the play, and Jetfish went into detail about how it all went down. Now, the question started off at, um, can, you, can, you talk, can you pinpoint what's going on with the blocking? And then the person asking the question continued to just talk and basically make a very specific example. I would much rather have had a more broad example, but I think Jetfish was able to answer the more broad uh, portion of that question kind of subtly when he answered specifically to the two-point conversion. Now, the two-point attempt was an incomplete pass. Jordan McLeod threw the ball over the middle to B.J. Castile. Ball hit the, you know, hit the turf uh, just a, you know, a, f- a few inches in front of B.J. Castile's diving attempt, um, and it went uh, obviously unsuccessful. Arizona loses the game. Now, on the play, uh, Carson Taylor, who's a, a defensive lineman for NAU, basically came free on the play. Just you know, completely missed, uh, whiffed on the block on uh, on that uh, by the offensive line or the the tight end that he was lined up over. And when he came free, it didn't give M- Jordan McLeod any time to throw the football accurately. He was backpedaling and got hit kind of on the play at the same time as he was throwing, and the ball was short. And there you have it. That's that's how you disrupt a play. So. When Jetfish was asked about that, he mentioned that, you know, Alex Lines, who was the tight end on that, was supposed to block 
Carson Taylor, the defensive end. That was his job. Now, the problem was is it wasn't his job for the play that was called. The play that was called was for a swing pla- a swing pass to Stanley Berryhill, which was basically step the ball, quickly release it, boom, get it out, get it in your playmaker's hands, let him dive into the end zone for the two-point conversion. Jordan McLeod gets the line of scrimmage, checks out of the play, goes to the essentially a, a standard pro, standard protection with a, uh, with a crossing route uh, two yards deep in the end zone. Okay. Also a quick developing play, but there's a small rub there uh, with, with Barry Hill and, and Castile, and it allows Castile to come free on a cross. Okay? Uh, you hope to get the linebacker to bite up, maybe to, you know, to protect the other. Anyway, the way that this play is designed. So that was, the, that was the play that was called, the audible to that play. However, nobody notified tight end Alex Lines of his blocking assignment. Well, whether it should have been Jordan McLeod who offered that information or his right tackle that was standing next to him offering that information. Uh, somebody needed to get with Alex Lyons and say, hey, this is, you know, we got to block this end because now he's going to be coming free because we have to block down, uh, you know, whatever, okay? Nobody communicated that to Alex Lyons. Alex did his job properly for the swing pass. Unfortunately, that caused a disruption in the play. And, look, these are the little things that happen in games that you cannot tell just by watching unless you have a very trained eye. And if you were listening yesterday, and I'm not you know, trying to pat myself on the back, I'm just telling you what I, what I saw. And what I said yesterday was the breakdowns in a lot of the blocking that we've seen, both in pass and run blocking, appear to be some kind of a communication breakdown. And if you've listened to the show long enough, you know how much I harp on communication. It's one of the, it's one of the most vital things that you can have as a team on the field. You and your brothers out there need to communicate, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever have you. Okay? Sean Miller used to always harp on this. You guys got to talk. You guys got to talk. I'm not hearing enough chatter. And the teams that performed well for Sean Miller were the teams that talked, both offensively and defensively, teams that called things out, the players that were vocal, players that were vocal leaders on those teams that were calling things out, making sure that everyone was on the same page. If you play as a team, you have to communicate and essentially be playing as a team. If there's no communication, everybody's just off doing their own thing, and nothing gets done, nothing gets accomplished, and you see what happened last night, the previous Saturday night, the previous Saturday night. The lack of communication on this team, uh, specifically on the offensive line and blocking schemes and such, is a real problem right now. And that was brought to light in his press conference yesterday, basically saying that, look, they're not communicating, there's a lack of communication there, and that's causing breakdowns in the blocking schemes. He said there's also a lack of cohesion amongst the offensive line. I talked about that numerous times over the weeks, just how important it is for those five players, those five men, to be working in concert with one another as a team. It's the most difficult position in football to get right is the offensive line. Quarterbacks come and they go. You can find a great playmaker at quarterback. You can hide uh, you know, certain, you know, certain inefficiencies that your quarterbacks may have. If you have a bad offensive line that doesn't play together, doesn't communicate, you cannot hide that. It is a gaping wound that is going to continue to bleed and fester until it undo, undoes your team completely. This has to be fixed right now. Right now. When, when Jetfish says that I got four guys doing one thing the right way and I got one guy that's off doing something else the wrong way, that needs to be fixed. That player needs to be either taken out of the game or he needs to be sat down and filmed and said, you're going to sit here until we get it right. We're going to go out there on that practice field, and we're going to practice it until you get it right. 
also saying that linemen were behind the play too often on Saturday night. He he made a specific a specific uh, uh, you know point to say, you know, when you go block a linebacker, you can't run to where they are because you know they're going to be flowing. Look, folks, this is like 101 offensive line 101 stuff. I don't know whether to blame the offensive line coach Brennan Carroll or whether to blame every single offensive lineman on that team because this is 101. If you can't figure out that you have to run to the spot where the linebacker is going to be as opposed to where he's not just going to stand there on his X where he's drawn in the scheme on that particular play call. If you have to go block a middle linebacker, okay, first thing he's going to do is read the center's nose. Read the center. Where's the center going? He's going to start flowing that way. Maybe he's on a maybe he's on a blitz. Maybe he's on a run dog. I don't know. Okay, he's not going to be standing on his X the entire play. You have to go find him. That's why they have progression blocks. Okay, blocks that flow, plays that flow. You know that you have to move in concert with the offense to go find this uh, this this secondary player that you have to go block. This second level player that you have to get to. They're not just going to be standing on their spot. If this is the problem with the offensive line, what are we, like what are we doing? Like we need to knock some heads around there. Like I don't know. I I, I don't. I can't comprehend. Like when he said that, I was like, wait a second. What? Are you kidding me? We have offensive linemen running to a spot instead of running to the man. Holy smokes! I folks wonder why. They can't run to why Arizona can't run to football and why teams are constantly feasting at Arizona's backfield. Ten TFLs against NAU. Ten. That's more than they'll get in any game this year, I guarantee it. Guarantee it. They won't play a team this year that gives up more than ten TFLs to that defense. Arizona did. Offensive line's got to be fixed. Yesterday. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, we'll continue to talk about some of the things that Jed Fish mentioned in his press conference yesterday, including who I think should be the quarterback going into Autzen Stadium this Saturday. That's next, right here on the Jeff Dean Show, ESPN Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Check out the NFL Cover 2, covering all the latest NFL news every weekday with Spears and Ali. It's brought to you by Barrio Brewing Company. Barrio Brewing Company, Arizona's oldest brewery, celebrating 30 years of brewing in Arizona. Now, who's the quarterback for Saturday night? Okay, Wildcats heading up to Autzen. I believe they're, I believe Oregon's a 28-point favorite in this game. That's four touchdowns in a Pac-12 game. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot, a lot. Okay. Uh, you know, I want people, people going to go 100 point spread. Stop. Okay. 28 points is a freaking lot. Who should the quarterback be? We've seen, we've seen all three of them. Now we only got to see Jordan McLeod in essentially two drives at the end of a game against an FCS school. So I don't know how much weight that is going to carry, how much you want to put into that. I know Wildcat fans are like, McLeod should be the starting quarterback. He led us to a touchdown against against NAU. Congratulations, okay? Um, here's what I think. I also think that Jordan McLeod should be the starter on Saturday, but here's why. It's not because of what we saw on Saturday night. It's not because of that. The things that, that he did wrong in that game can be taught, i.e., going up to your tight end and saying, hey, 
uh, we're checking down to this play. So uh, make sure that you block the defensive end so that I can throw the football, please. Okay, got to communicate that. Uh, you can't just assume that everybody on the field is going to understand what you meant and, and know their exact assignment in that particular system. You have to be able to communicate that. Okay, that can easily be fixed. As in, don't do it again unless you want to be on your back. <laughs> okay, but here's the reason why I think Jordan McLeod should start against Oregon and not Will Plummer or Gunnar Cruz. Simply because Jordan McLeod has started in other hostile environments on the road for a, a, a for a, you know a Division One football team before. He's he's done it at USF. Seventeen starts at USF. Okay, he's obviously been on the road. Um. You know, again, last year, the, you know, the fans and stuff like that weren't weren't a factor. But he's gone on the road to make a start before, and I think the experience of starting on the road, I just I think it's best for for the team that he gets the start in this particular situation because of the hostile territory that they're going to be in, the fact that they're on the road, they're not in the friendly confines. Okay, he may not be the best quarterback on this team right now, but in my opinion, for this game. I think he should be the starting quarterback just because of his experience. You know, Jed talks about the lack of experience of his quarterbacks all the time. We got one guy never had a you know Division One start in his life. Another guy that's getting here, you know, from Washington State, who is learning a new system and who's also you know essentially a, you know a second year freshman, redshirt sophomore, whatever you want to call it. Okay, he talks about how young and inexperienced his other two quarterbacks are. Well, in a situation where you're heading into arguably the most difficult place to play in the Pac-12, Austin Stadium in Eugene, Oregon, on a Saturday night when the Ducks are undefeated and the, the fans are going to be sniffing blood, you know, smelling blood in the water, obviously, with a wounded Arizona team coming to town. This is the perfect opportunity to give Jordan McLeod his start and to manage a football game. Not to mention it gives Arizona another wrinkle as far as offensively goes you can have some quarter design quarterback runs for Jordan McLeod in that game don't get him killed obviously you don't want to have him run the ball 25 times but there can be some design quarterback runs in that game if you don't want to try and challenge that Oregon secondary which has been very very good so far this year uh when they're paying attention (laughs) because remember the the play against Ohio State where they're all looking at their wristbands CJ Stroud snaps the ball throws the ball to uh Chris Olave and they score a touch, or was it Garrett Wilson? One of the two, Olave or Wilson. They're both run four three forties and have hands of glue. Um, so, yeah. Either way, they're, they're, it's a wealth of, of riches at wide receiver at Ohio State. So, um, I, I I think that I think that Jordan McLeod should be the guy. And again, it's not because uh, I don't think Gunnar Cruz is capable of going up there and winning a game for Arizona. I don't think it's because Will Plummer has shown me you know, with the two picks that he, that he threw against NAU that he doesn't have a grasp of the offense. It's, it's not any of that kind of stuff, and I'm not saying, either. I'm not saying that either. Uh, what I'm saying is that you want to give your guy with the most experience the start in that particular game. Okay? Your chances of winning that game are slim, very, very slim. It's, 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 it's going to be a very difficult night for Arizona football. But you still got to give yourself the best chance to win and compete. And in my opinion, that's with Jordan McLeod. And as I mentioned, he may not be the best quarterback in the, you know, on the team right now as it stands with his grasp of the offense or anything like that. But his experience, he came in in that game down 
was like, we need you to come, we need you to, you know, get in there and get us a comeback win. First series didn't go so well. It was a three and out. His first play it was a 10-yard loss, 10-yard sack on what I think was another miscommunication by the offensive line because that player just went basically unblocked. He got chipped a little bit, but it was an inside player, and you don't chip inside players. You block them. Um, so he came in. He showed some poise, got the team down the field, made some big plays, made some big throws, challenged the defense, was able to go up on the line of scrimmage, recognize something that he didn't like, changed the play, just didn't communicate it. I, I think if he had communicated and Alex Lyons had known his blocking assignment, I think Arizona would have tied that game 21-21, and then who knows what happens. They go to overtime, whatever, you, you know, something something would have happened in that game, and I think the outcome could have been different um, with just that one little one little snafu caused some problems. But, um, you know, Jed Fish said he's going to name – the starting quarterback, he expects to name a starter for the Oregon game after today's practice. I expect that person to be Jordan McLeod, and I do hope it is Jordan McLeod, just for all the reasons that I laid out just now, because um, I just feel like the team needs a, a confident, poised quarterback to calm the emotions of going to Autzen Stadium. Look, there's going to be plenty of guys on offense and on defense that are not going to be scared or, or intimidated by what they see in that, uh, you know, seeing here and the atmosphere that they have there. And when Oregon, they put on a show, they really do. They come out and they're going to come out in their flashy uniforms. They're a big, strong, fast team and all this. It's daunting. Look, I've, I've been in that position before. You're like, oh, boy, we're in, we're in for it tonight, boys. But if you have a calming presence there, somebody says, hey, you know, I got you. You know, when, when I was at USF, we went up. We, we had to go down to play to play Central Florida team that's coming off you know twelve and zero season, claiming that they were the national champions the previous year because they beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl yada yada yada, and we went in there and yeah we were we were twenty two point underdogs and we played them to the final minute of that game we lost that game by six points whatever have you okay, that's that's the kind of person you want to come in there and be that calming presence someone who has brings that kind of poise and leadership to that game and again may not be the best quarterback. I'm not here to evaluate the quarterback. I don't watch those types of films. I don't get to see them in practice. I don't talk to the players in 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 uh in study uh for, you know, for, you know, book studies and things like that, for playbook study, but I can tell you that I do believe that he is the best option in this particular situation. It's situational football at this point, just trying to get a win or or be competitive any way you can. And I believe Jed, uh, Jordan McLeod gives them the best opportunity to be competitive on Saturday night at Autzen Stadium. Join Spears and Ali for their Thursday night football broadcast as they're going to be heading out to Native Grill and Wings in Marana. Broadcasting live from 3 to 6. The Native Grill and Wings there has over 40 television, over 12 beers on tap. Uh, it's located on the southwest corner of Cortaro and I-10 on Courtney Page Way. I've been there before. Uh, good spot to watch a football game. You can check out their new food and drink specials. Download the loyalty app, the Native Grill and Wing loyalty app for offers and promotions and things like that as well. Thursday night football at Native Grill and Wings in Marana, home of the original Arizona Wing. For more information, go to ESPNTucson.com, but join Spears and Ali this Thursday night for that Thursday night football game. More after this, including some bold statements and predictions after week three of college football right here on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. 
Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here. Final segment for hour number one. And if you're familiar with the show, you know that our break at the top of the hour between 7 and 8 o'clock, real brief. Just a quick two-minute uh, turnaround, and then we're right back on the air. So stay right here. Don't go anywhere. Lots of stuff to get into. I'm going to hit on the other side starting the 8 o'clock hour. We'll start doing some bold statements and predictions after week three of college football. Uh, but there's a lot more to get into than I want to start right now. Plus, there's a story that look, this story came out last night after the game against the or between the Packers and the Lions. And uh, Aaron Jones, of course, her standout tailback for the uh, for the Green Bay, Green Bay Packers, had himself one hell of a game last night. 17 carries, 67 yards, and a touchdown. Also had six catches for three more touchdowns. Scored four touchdowns in the game. Now, Aaron Jones, who was wearing a necklace in this game containing his father's ashes, or some of his father's ashes. He wouldn't be able to contain all of them. That would be a really big necklace. Um, a necklace that was containing his father's ashes. His father passed away in April to uh, complications from COVID-19. And he had dedicated the season to his father and was wearing the necklace. Well, the necklace was lost somewhere in the game, during the game, and basically after the game it was like you know Aaron Jones lost the ashes of his father but his father would be happy you know hopefully they were in the end zone somewhere well the necklace has been found the necklace containing his father's ashes with with which went missing last night has been found uh, Jones went on the Steve Saban show this morning and was able to confirm that the uh, the necklace had been found now uh, Aaron Jones had uh, had said that he was going to go out and help the grounds crew look for the necklace this morning. So I don't know if he found it or if the grounds crew found it or somebody else, uh, you know, went and went and found it. But nonetheless, the necklace has been returned. And uh, like I remember, I saw that story last night. The headline just before I was going to bed, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's terrible that uh, that he lost lost the necklace." But it's been found, and I'm sure that he will find a uh, a better way to either contain that necklace on his person or just go ahead and, you know, do the right thing and just, you know, empty his father's ashes somewhere where his father would have liked them to be emptied. So, uh, yeah, so that's good news. Glad to hear about that. And uh, Aaron Jones had a great game last night. The Packers, you know, they win that game 35-17. Still not sure about Packers. Look, the Lions are terrible. We know that. They had some fight in them against the Niners in week number one. But that game was, you know, that game was 41 what, 41-14, 41-17? Yeah, 41-17 uh, with two minutes to go. And then the Detroit Lions, you know, the, the 49ers fell asleep at the wheel. Lions score 16 points in a matter of 53 seconds and make a game of it. But that game was never really in doubt until the very end before the 49ers were able to recover that second onside kick uh, by the Lions. So the the game last night, I fully expected the the Packers to win that game and for Aaron Rodgers to come out afterwards and be like, you know, basically silencing the haters and all this other stuff. Dude, you just beat the Detroit Lions, okay? Settle down. As as you yourself, sir, would say, R-E-L-A-X. There's no silencing of the haters, specifically after the performance you put up, the stinking performance you put up last week against New Orleans. And the way you start the season, you're now one and one. Congratulations, you beat the Lions in a wet ball night where Jared Goff fumbled the ball twice. Uh, there were mistakes all around, and uh, your team was able to come out on top with a win. Look, 
I still, I'm still not quite sure what the Packers are, but we're going to find out Sunday night, right? Packers and Niners. The Niners get to play their first home game of the season coming up this Sunday night. It's the marquee game as Aaron Rodgers traveling back home to NorCal to play his, uh, his childhood team growing up, the San Francisco 49ers. We're going to find out more about the Packers. We're going to find out more about the 49ers if they can even find somebody to run the football. Look, they're bringing in guys right now to 49er camp that retired two years ago from the NFL because they lost three more running backs this weekend. Three more. Jermichael Hasty is going to be out. Trey Sermon, their, their, uh, their draft pick from Ohio State, is in concussion protocol. They're in big trouble right now, the 49ers are. They can't find a running back to stay healthy and run the football. Elijah Mitchell got hurt in that game, got hurt in the, the first half of that game, right, right at the beginning of the second quarter. It has not been good for the 49ers. Their injury woes continue. Now, the defensive line has been fine this year. It's always like one position for them. The linebacking core has been, eh, you know, somewhat, you know, I know that uh, the Greenlaw is out. The secondary, of course, losing Jason Verrett for the season, that certainly hurts, but the running back position, my God. Five running backs so far this season in two weeks for the 49ers, and they got to bring in a whole slew, new slew of guys that haven't been playing. So we'll see if Kyle Shanahan has any more magic up his sleeve to try to get, as they say, anybody can run the football in his system. We'll find out Sunday night against the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. But I don't think, I'm not sold on that Packers defense right now, even though they did hold the Lions to some respectable rushing yards last night. Stay tuned. Just a real quick turnaround, hour number two of the Jeff Dean Show here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson, KMXC HD4 Tucson.